Bird Girl, and The Man Who Followed the Sun, an Athabascan Indian legend from Alaska. Velma Wallace is the author. Chapter 15, Revenge. Ten years passed after Bird Girl gave birth to her son, the boy whom Turek and Akpa raised, giving him the Chikawi name Kanuk. In all those years, Akpa never looked Bird Girl in the eye. When the two met, Akpa lowered her eyes and moved out of the way, wanting to avoid the Gwich'in woman. Turek, however, let Bird Girl know he had not forgotten about her. He did small things to humiliate her. Sometimes when she was eating, he snatched her food away and threw it to the dogs. If he saw her carrying a heavy load, he would trip her, and the other chickawee would laugh as she fell. Never fighting back, never saying a word, Bird Girl tried to stay away from him. Still living in Yupik's shelter, Bird Girl worked for the elderly woman and for a few others in the camp who would allow her to come near them. With the busy old woman as her only company, Bird Girl tried to fill her days with whatever work she could find to occupy her mind and body. Yet as the seasons came and went slowly, she could not help but watch with bitterness and jealousy as her son was raised by another woman. Canuck grew into a sturdy boy with the strength of his mother's witching blood and the shining black hair of his Chikwai father. His brown skin glowed in a handsome face with rosy cheeks. When Bird Girl stopped to watch him run across the tundra or wrestle boldly with the other children, she remembered how free and strong she had been as a child. Her son was the reason she did not try to escape. For years she dreamed of someday telling him that she was his true mother. Then one afternoon as she watched him play, Canuck noticed her and stopped. Bird Girl's heart quickened, but the boy turned and ran the other way. The longing in her eyes had frightened him. Later, Bird Girl saw the boy's nervousness turn to scorn and revulsion. She knew then that Turek and the other Chikwee were teaching him to hate her. When he played with his friends, Canuck joined them in teasing her and throwing pebbles at her. As she turned to look at them, the children ran away laughing. Gradually, as the young boy grew up strong and healthy, he became like the other Chikawi children, not seeming to know or care that she existed. He was as foreign to her as Turek. Finally, Bird Girl let go of her sorrow, trying to be happy that her son would enjoy a favored life with these people. During the years that Bird Girl spent with the Chikawi, she learned much about their way of life. In the short summer months, they hunted dried fish, gathered plants and berries, and stored all the food in huge underground cellars. In autumn, they moved their camp closer to the mountains where they hunted for caribou. During the long winter, the men hunted for seals, polar bears, 
and walruses along the sea ice. And in the springtime, they paddled their boats out to sea to hunt for whales. Each year, when the whale hunters returned with their kill, a big festival took place. Chikawi came from miles around to help butcher the whale, a task that took longer than a week. Everyone became lively as men and women worked together, cutting up the meat, and small children chewed muktuk, the whale skin lined with fat. Women cooked and served huge meals. Even Bird Girl felt content as everyone bustled about happily. For a very brief time, she was almost accepted by the Chikawi as she helped them cut and store the meat. After the hard work was done, the Chikawi celebrated by dancing, singing, playing games, and laughing at each other's stories. Bird Girl watched them quietly. Sometimes she sat back remembering her own people and the celebrations they shared. But she would not allow herself to dwell on the past, <clears throat> for the memories often brought her close to tears. She did not believe she could ever go back. Her people would not accept her. Of all the games that the Chikawi played, the one bird girl most enjoyed watching was the blanket toss. Like her people, the Chikawi played games to practice the skills they needed for hunting. The blanket toss trained them to work together in perfect union. Strong hunters grasped the edges of a large blanket made of walrus hides carefully sewn together and pulled it tight. Then one agile man climbed onto the blanket and stood poised in the center. Working as one, the hunters tossed him up in the air so he could see to the far horizons. Coming down, he landed softly on his feet, only to be tossed up again ever higher. Great sounds of approval arose from the spectators as they watched their favorite jumpers soar high into the air. Bird Girl marveled at the sight and often had to keep herself from screaming out in excitement. <clears throat> she was also fascinated by their dancing. The men would gather and bang their hooped drums of stretched animal skins, beating an even rhythm as they chanted loudly. Bird Girl felt chills run down her spine as the men danced in perfect steps, becoming one as the drums beat steadily. At no time would Bird Girl appreciate the Chikawi people more than when she watched them dance their hunting stories. Yet it was during one whaling festival ten years after the birth of her son that Bird Girl came to hate the Chikawi most fiercely. In the middle of the celebrations, the men brought out a ball and began kicking it back and forth. Women and children cheered excitedly as the men played. At first it seemed an innocent game, but Bird Girl sensed that something was not right. When the ball rolled near her, she looked down to discover with horror that it was a human head. Startled, Bird Girl looked up in time to catch a few people watching her in expectation. Standing tall <clears throat> among the men was Turek, looking right at her, a sneer of pleasure twisting his lips. Once more, the head was kicked toward Bird Girl, coming close enough for her to recognize the face of her oldest brother.
Calling on all her inner strength, Bird Girl held back a cry of rage and despair. She refused to allow any emotion to show on her face. One of the players ran over and kicked the ball, kicked the head back into the game, and they played on. Just when Bird Girl had calmed herself, the Chickawee men tossed into the game the head of her second brother. This time she almost broke. They will never see me cry, she told herself stubbornly. She fought her grief even as the head of her third brother was kicked in to play. <clears throat> Bird Girl did not question <clears throat> how her brothers learned that she had been kidnapped. Somehow they had come to rescue her and the Chikawi killed them. Her heart broke and a single tear slid down her cheek before she could stop it. Why are you crying? A cheeky wee woman asked shyly. Bird Girl replied as lightly as she could. Smoke from the fire is getting in my eyes. The woman and the other cheeky wee nearby smiled. As Bird Girl watched her brother's mutilated heads being kicked back and forth, something within her snapped. Throughout all her pain, one part of her had always held on to hope. Now that part was torn in two, and she could almost feel the horrible power within her. The lights faded, the Chikawi lost interest in their game, and began to wander away, but but Bird Girl did not move. Quietly, she sat by the fire that had flickered out. She thought of all, she thought of all that the Chikawi had done to her, the kidnapping, the rape, the beatings, the humiliation, She could have forgotten them all, forgotten them for all of it, for slaves were always treated badly by their captors. She understood that. She could even forgiven them for taking away her chance to love her child because they had loved him instead. But to kill her brothers then flaunt it in front of her was the ultimate insult. She would rather die then forgive them for this. That evening, she was expected to clean up after the celebration. The people had all but forgotten about her as they tiredly made their way to their dwellings to sleep. When all was quiet, Bird Girl walked through the camp as if in a trance, collecting the skin and fur clothing hung on racks to dry. She did not let herself, she did not allow herself to think Instead, she felt the hatred flow through her, indulging in it as she moved from shelter to shelter, stuffing the pieces of clothing into the air holes of each one. Almost without thought, she passed by Yupik's shelter, leaving it untouched, and headed for the dwelling where Akpa, Kanuk, and Turak lay sleeping. All the rage that she had held back for so long came flooding into her as she packed the rest of the stuffing into the holes that gave Turek shelter, air, and light. When she was done, Bird Girl returned to Yukbik's dwelling and quietly went inside. For a moment, she looked down at the elderly woman lying on her bedding, looking pale and fragile as she slept soundly. Then Bird Girl went to her home bedding and took out the hidden skin bag that she had packed in secret long ago, dreaming of escaping. 
Putting the bag over her shoulder, she left the shelter and walked away from the Chikawee camp. She did not look back. Instead, she tried to remember what awaited her on the other side of the distant mountains. Chapter 16, A Long Journey Home. When Diago awoke, he found himself lying in a cave, his body stiff and sore. He tried to remember who had rescued him. Whoever it was, they must be near they must be nearby, for they had left some meat cooking on their campfire. But Diago saw no one. He crawled to the fire and ate small bites of the meat. Then he collapsed down on the floor of the cave, his strength gone. That evening, while Dagu slept, the old man returned. He sparked up his fire, warmed the cooked meat, and ate it. Staring at Dagu, he wondered who he was and what tribe he belonged to. The old man hoped the old man hoped that his visitor would not become violent when he awoke. He had seen much suffering in his long life for bandits had been a constant threat to his people. Now in his old age, he simply longed for peace. When Diagu woke up that night, he found the old man asleep. By the light of the fire's embers, Diagu stared at the weather-beaten face of his rescuer. Then the elder stirred in his sleep and opened his eyes. So you are awake, the old man said in Sunshine's language. I thought you would surely go to the other world. My name is Diagu, he replied in the same tongue. The old man's eyes opened wide in surprise. You are one of us, he asked. I am from far away. My wife was from your tribe, Diagu answered. Pain etched its way across his features as he struggled to set up. He slowly told his story, trying to say the difficult words correctly. She was kidnapped years ago by bandits. After she escaped from them, she gave birth to a son. She did not return to her people for fear they would not accept her child. I stayed with her, and we had children of our own, but bandits but bandits murdered them all. The old man was saddened by Dagu's tale. I knew this woman, he said. She was just a girl when they took her. We searched everywhere but could not find her. I'm glad to know she shared happiness with you. I will tell her people and they will finally put her memory in rest. In the days that followed, Dagu gradually <clears throat> regained his strength. A few gashes were left on his face and hands where the birds had torn at his flesh, but the old man treated them with a salve mixed from medicinal plants that helped to close the wounds and ease the pain. Yet some wounds, some wounds could not be healed so easily. Bitter memories still tormented Diagu, and he talked about his sorrow with the old man. What will you do now, the elder asked one day, as Diagu watched him hang fish over the fire to drive. Revenge filled Diagu's mind. I will kill those men, he insisted. The old man looked at Diagu for a long time. It is no use to avenge your family, he said. They are safe. 
in the other world. If you go after those men again, this time they will kill you. Dago did not answer. Go home to your people, the old man pleaded. You have found the sun and know and known happiness, but now you are empty. You must go back to your own land and fill yourself again. Go back to those who love you. Your mother must be waiting for you. Still, Dago said nothing. The old man did not ar- the old man did not argue further, for he knew the younger man would make his own decision. When the old man grew tired of hunting alone and decided to return to his people, he invited Dagu to go with him. Dagu refused. I hope you have left behind you. I hope you have left behind your foolish desire for revenge, the old man said. You are a good man. Either come and join my people or go back to where you came from. Do not allow these bad memories to destroy you. I will move on, Diago said vaguely. He needed time alone to decide what to do. The old man found Sunshine's horse and now returned it to Diago, laden with meat, bidding his friend farewell. Diago turned and headed north. He retraced his steps, visiting for one last time the place where he had cremated his family. Then before he lost the courage to go on, he turned back along the path of time towards his homeland. The weeks turned into months as Diago rode the horse northward. When the weather began to cool, they headed into the mountains. One morning, the animal slipped on a loose stone and fell, sending both horse and rider rolling down a rocky slope. Diago grabbed a handful of willows growing out of a hillside, but the horse tumbled all the way to the bottom. Slowly, Dagu made his way down to where the animal lay, two of its legs broken. Dagu looked at the horse sadly. This was the animal that Sunshine had taught him to ride. Killing it would mean leaving behind the last trace of her. But Dagu could not see that the horse, but Dagu could see that the horse was suffering greatly. So he took out his knife and with one click sliced through the vital veins in his neck, ended its life. The loss of the horse saddened him, but Diago could only continue his journey. After several months of walking, he came upon a group of people and recognized them as the Tlingits, the proud people to whom he had once traded a song for food. Diago hesitated, unsure how to approach him. Would they remember him? Already armed men had surrounded him. Dagu held up his hands and his skin map in a gesture of surrender. One of the men spoke to the others and they smiled. They remembered Dagu, the traveler who had gone south following the sun. The men took him back to their village where their new chief greeted him as an old friend. Many tinglets invited Dagu into their homes and shared their food with him, eager to hear his stories. Dagu still did not understand the Tlingit language, but using hand gestures and quichin words, he imagined to convey all that had happened to him. 
He told them about riding the horse, about looking out over the great ocean, and about walking on the beaches of sand hot from the sun. The people listened, amazed by his adventures. While Daegus stayed with them, he hunted deer, tanned the skins, and made worn clothing for himself. Winter was approaching and he needed to move on. He figured that by the time he found his way north, the lakes would be frozen hard enough to cross. Once more, Dagu waved goodbye to the people who had helped him. He would never see them again, but they would live in his memory and he would live in their legends. Dagu arrived in Gwich'in territory in late autumn. He expected to encounter hunters along the trails, but saw no one. Killing a moose, he paused to dry the meat. Tanning some of its hide and cutting the rest into strips of rawhide, which he would use later to make snowshoes. The rivers were not yet frozen and Daegu considered stopping to build a canoe to speed his journey. Instead, he walked along the familiar banks of the Yukon. The fall colors were drifting from gold into brown and Daegu knew it wouldn't be long before the first snow. He watched the seasons change, leaves being blown off the trees, even as the snow fell. Then came the bitter cold when the ice along the edges of the river expanded and froze harder. Although he had grown soft in the warm country, Dagu was determined not to let this defeat him. In time, he would adapt to this land again. The snowshoes he had constructed were not as strong as those his father had once made, but they were good enough to keep him on top of the deepening snow. At last, as he neared one of his people's traditional winter campsites, Diagu recognized signs of human life. Suddenly, he wondered whether it had been a mistake to return. Was his mother still alive? Had everyone forgotten him? Should he have stayed in the land of the sun? He felt like a foreigner in this world in which he had been born. Perhaps his long journey had been for nothing. Memories of sunshine and their children still tormented him and the grief he felt over their deaths caused him to doubt whether anything would truly matter to him ever again.